Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome into a very special edition of Sporting 160 EN. I'm joined here with Sam, and we have a very special guest with us, um, Con Murphy. He covers uh, Liga NOS, all things Sports Premier Liga, on free sports uh, over on in the UK. Um, so he agreed to, to join us and give us a, in 30, 30 minutes of his time. So we're... <laughs> We're we're very grateful for that, and uh, yeah, Conan, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. I'm delighted. You know, uh, before we started, we were talking about commentary and stuff, and and getting nervous and that. To be honest with you, I love football. I've kind of really grown to love Portuguese football, especially. Um, obviously, it's something that you guys are are passionate about, and I. As, as the years pass by, I can feel myself really embracing Portuguese football. Um, you know, I'm actually based in Ireland, and, and when Irish teams are playing in Europe, you know, we always want the teams to do well, even our kind of the rival to, to the team you might follow, because you want the league to do well. And I kind of have the same feeling about Portuguese football at the moment now when um, Port Vika Sporting are involved in, in European competition. I want them to do well, you know. So yeah, I've really, really embraced it. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. So Khan, I just for for our listeners that that aren't for too familiar with you, or I mean, I know some of our listeners are UK based. I'd say it's a pretty even split between European based and North America based listeners. Um, yeah. So just I guess explain a little bit about your 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 path uh, as uh, your career path um and how you ended up uh calling portuguese football yeah what happened was um i was working for rte in ireland which would be the equivalent of say the bbc in, in england the state broadcaster and um i worked in radio and tv mainly as a presenter and uh, not as a commentator um and then a few years ago um I took a, a kind of a decision. It was a strange, maybe it was my midlife crisis, but a couple of my friends uh, sadly died um, and a couple got quite sick. And at the time I was thinking, am I going to you know, spend my entire working life in this place or will I just you know, jump off the cliff and hope that my parachute works? And so I decided to leave and go freelance and just you know, travel a bit and stuff. And I realized at the time that just as I left, the financial crisis, the crash was happening and, and uh, work for freelance broadcasters was quite uh, limited, especially where I am in Ireland. So um, I was fortunate in a way that I, I was asked to start doing football commentaries and athletic commentaries. And I've been working for um, free sports and premier in the UK for a few years now and and so it's like a new lease of life for me you can see that i, I have gray hair so i'm fairly old and um it's like a new uh element of my career that suddenly opened up for me and i'm finding myself doing commentary on all sorts of great occasions and i'm absolutely loving it Cool. Uh, I'll go with the next question. Um, obviously, you mentioned about being from Ireland and growing up there. Um, in terms of football, what was your, your team growing up and who was your sort of favourite players? It doesn't have to be from Ireland. It could be from anywhere. So who was your favourite team or favourite player growing up? 
Yeah, my my team, which um, I don't know if everybody will have heard of them, but my team is an Irish team, Shamrock Rovers, who uh, also they play were, in European competition. Way, and... Yeah, yeah, um, they'd be kind of Ireland's most successful team, and they'd be in Europe most seasons. <laughs> don't get too far most years, but um, as a kid, I supported them, which was kind of an unusual because the league here is quite small and. Most kids here um, would still follow either Manchester United or Liverpool or, you know, whatever team is successful in England at the time. Um, so I was kind of a bit of an outlier from that point of view. I did have a bit of a a, a, a liking for uh, Tottenham in the kind of 1970s, around when Ozzy Ardiles was playing for them and Ricky Villa, um, Glenn Hoddle. Um, there were a couple of... Northern Irish guy Jerry Armstrong played for them for a while, um, but that was just a little phase I went through. I, I didn't really. Uh, Shamrock Rovers has always been my team. So, yeah, we have um, kind of something in common because the green and white hoops. You know, it's not the most uh, regular jersey that you're going to see around the place, but uh, our two teams both playing green and hoops, and uh, you know, maybe at some point there'll be some sort of a relationship between Shamrock. Rovers and, and sporting uh, between the fans and, and maybe between the clubs even uh, because Rovers are now, you know, they're in the Champions League next season and they're they're getting, they played AC Milan this season in the Europa League, um, just lost 2-0. So, um, you know, who knows? Okay, Chris, do you want to go with the next question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I just a side note, I'm pretty familiar with Shamrock Rovers. Um yeah, and I did. I uh, there's another. Uh, I think Dundalk also uh, was in was in Europe. Uh, yeah. Initial qualifying. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the group phase of, of Europa League. This. Yeah, I, I root for the Irish teams. I root for the Irish teams usually. Oh, good man. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my next question is is um, kind of what um, like I guess commenting wise, like is there a specific game um, that you recall that like was a game that I'll always have a memory of you or um yeah i guess yeah let's go with that i think of the um portuguese games uh that i've done there was a game a couple of seasons ago um when porto were playing benfica and it was almost like a league decider and hector herrera scored a, a late winner for porto which was a great goal i think if memory serves me it was like a shot from outside the box top corner great goal yeah. 90th minute or 89th minute or something and i remember the atmosphere at that game was incredible and um that's one that uh, sticks out for sure um but actually you know you, it, it's it's it is the biggest cliche in football but it is a case of taking each match as it comes i kind of look forward to the next match that i'm going to do i mean tomorrow we're doing the um the super cup between uh, benfica and porto as well um, and I seem to be mentioning Benfica and Porto a lot, which on a sporting uh, pod is not great. <laughs> but one thing <laughs> I will really say is I have been super impressed with uh, sporting this season. And, and like under, I know we'll probably talk about it a bit more later on under Ruben Amaran and the job he's doing. Um, but just the bright talent that they have coming through. I get very excited when I see young kids like, you know, Nuno Mendes coming through. Um, Quaresma, although he hasn't featured this season, I think he has the potential to be a really good player. 
um, Tiago Tomas as well. So, so I love seeing young players like that coming through and, you know, telling my friends when they go on and play for Liverpool or whatever, um, that I saw them first playing for Sporting. I don't know if that's a frustration for you guys, by the way, that, you know, you have a situation where there's always a chance that your best players are going to be snapped up by a Barcelona or a Liverpool or a Manchester United, you know, Bruno Fernandes and so on. Um, if that's something that's pisses you off. <laughs> no. Um, so it's, it's a bit of both, really, because obviously you like to see your players do well because that also helps the national team. And it also helps So like with Bruno Fernandes. People say, OK, sporting a, a reliable place to go to, to buy players. And yeah. sometimes, you know, with Ricky Van Voorswinkel a few years ago going to Norwich and you've got a few players that sort of didn't do well and John Mario to Inter Milan. Yeah. It's like sometimes it, it puts puts clubs off. But it's a double-sided coin because obviously we get the money and, like, we got the money yeah. for Bruno Fernandes and we invested it in, like, Nuno Santos and players like that. But at the same time, it's it's difficult because obviously it will, will ruin your chances for the next few seasons. But, you know, it's always good to see it when you're with your friends. Like, oh, I know that guy. I've watched him for, for three years, four years. Even if it's like uh, for Wolves, especially at the moment, you could say that for yeah, yeah. pretty much all their players. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure if Chris has any if different feelings towards that. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the, the reality of the situation that, that I've come to accept. Um, and, yeah, it, it's always fun to, you know, I, it, it's like, uh, you know, you never want to deny them the opportunity to spread their wings. And, you know, obviously Bruno... He, he left at the right time, right? And it's clear that that he was always destined to be great. And, uh, you know, it's it's awesome to see him shining. And honestly, like, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, maybe next season, two seasons, someone comes knocking like Real Madrid, you know, with like 200 million or something like that. And it's a crazy moment like that happens. So, yeah, it's it's good to see, you know, to, to see our guys, you know, develop and flourish on the, on the, big, the bigger stages. Um, and yeah, and hopefully, you know, continue growing. And then, you know, I guess an example would be Adrian Silva left and then kind of fell out and didn't make yeah. it so much with the national team. So um, it's, 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 it's sometimes, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, the national team element of it is definitely. It's so issue. true. Like the, the hit and miss element of it. We saw uh, Jetson Fernandez going to Tottenham and he hasn't really kicked a ball for Spurs hardly. I mean, there's talk from coming back to Portugal maybe tail between his legs slightly. Um, I know um, they were saying that maybe he moved too soon uh, to Spurs. And I was a bit surprised, actually, when Spurs took him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you will have hit and misses, but uh, I think Alex Tellez will do very well at, at Manchester United eventually as, as well, though. So I guess, well, I say we we get right into the, the more sporting-based questions now. Um, so... I guess, Colin, when did you start officially covering uh, the Portuguese league? What season? Uh, I think that's a good. That's that. That is a good question. Is it three, four seasons ago? Three or four seasons ago? Um, it's one of these situations where um, the contract became available, and I think uh, there is there is an appetite for uh, the Portuguese football because I think people realise that at the moment. It's pretty strong, you know. I, I, albeit some of the European performances have been uh, a bit iffy. Uh, in general, Portuguese football. You look at you mentioned Wolves earlier on and the impact that's been made there. Jota at, at Liverpool now is setting the world on fire. 
Bruno Fernandes, uh, likewise. So um, I think the figures were good. Like they realized that, you know, people want to watch these, um, particularly the big three, you know. Um, so uh, Benfica, uh, Porto and Sporting uh, regularly feature. Um, and so I, I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I'm pretty sure that it's going to continue for another while as well um premier sports i know have um la liga now the italian football um they sometimes show a bit of portuguese as well um so yeah i mean i've been doing it for four and hopefully many more um when you say four years ago i'm gonna bring this up i know there's a lot of um it's a sour patch for sporting fans but um when the attacks happen on the academy, I'm not sure if you were t- you're too familiar, but I, yeah. I believe that might have been either the first or second season you might have commentated. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how much you know about it, but what were your thoughts as a as a as sort of a professional, as a commentator, or just even a fan of, of what happened? And do you think um, it it affected the the Portuguese football in general or not? Well, just from an outsider's point of view, because we were just reading about it in the in the press. Um, I still to this day don't really quite understand what that was about. Um, you know, anybody who calls himself a supporter of a team and then goes and physically attacks players as they're preparing for a really big game, to me that just didn't add up. I, I, I you know, if you're if you're annoyed at the board, if you're annoyed at certain players for not you know, maybe putting in the effort, whatever that might be, you know, boo them, bring your banners to the games, do whatever. But to actually go to the training ground and attack them, I was I was so, so surprised when I heard that. And I kind of thought, you know, those players are going to have a discussion after this in the dressing room and talk about, you know, what are we doing? Play, putting this jersey on, wearing this badge, representing these so-called fans um and i just wondered would it uh affect the players desire uh to play for the club and i know there was talk at the time of some players just wanting to get out of dodge and and just put it all behind them um i'm actually really interested to get your perspective on it as as fans because i obviously there must be fans forums and stuff like that which i wouldn't be that aware of so I don't know the the ins and outs of it, but I I must say at the time I was really really shocked. Um, I'll offer of my insight, and then I'll pass it to Chris. Um, I agree with you that it, the attacks were disgusting. I think most, if not all, sporting fans would agree. Um, I know there is a bit of animosity to the players who who chose to leave because originally they cancelled their contracts, and then yeah. it was uh, so obviously Sporting had to try and get the the best price they could, but even if they couldn't, like we wouldn't make any money. So I know to the seven, I, let me, if I can remember any, Chris will let me know, but there's William Cavallio, Rui Patricio, Rafael, Rafael Leal. Um, who am I missing, Chris? Bruno Daniel Fernandes, Daniel Podence, Bruno Fernandes. Bastos. Uh, Ruben Ribeiro. And Bastos. So Bruno Fernandes and Bastos, in my opinion, were, were sort of respected because they re-signed and, Bastos, I believe, was the only one to actually get hit. So I think we all we all uh, sympathise with Bastos if he wanted to leave. But um, at the moment, the, 
the players that we mentioned just aren't a part of our history as far as we're concerned because although I agree traumatic time and I could never put myself in in those shoes for William Cavallo and Rui Patricio especially the captain yeah. sort of just we felt they just walked out and I know it was traumatic but in a way they didn't really care what will happen next to Sporting if Sporting went bankrupt or whatever in my opinion it was like they didn't really care but I don't know if, if Chris thinks differently but that's how I feel but obviously I think the attacks were stupid and I agree with you they weren't sporting fans. They were they were thugs. But I'm not sure if Chris has any other. Ideas. No, I, I I agree with everything Sam said. Um, and additionally, like behind the scenes, so I don't know how many of them there were. Let's say twenty. You know, twenty idiots. Um, basically, at the right after it first happened, I'll give you like the one minute summary version because I know we're tight on time. Um, like there was a lot of speculation and then media about like the president of sporting had had planned the attack and how was there, how was there, there was this grand conspiracy for the attack to happen. And then basically what a year long trial and text messages showed was that these idiots just organized it themselves and just went in there rah, rah and did it. And there was no grand scheme and there was no leader. And basically the events that set off this chain reaction, the players were sending, the president was already on like unstable ground. So this basically was, what served as the final nail in the coffin to, to depose him. Um, so then looking back, some people were saying like, Oh, like this was just cynically wet. Like this, these idiots did the attack and then these guys used it to get the money. They wanted to leave the club anyway. So they just used it as their opportunity. They yeah. wanted to get rid of the president. So they just used this as the opportunity and said that he planned it. So yeah, it, it was a really dark, a dark, you know, year. For, for sporting, yeah. you know, yeah. in the it was, it was very turbulent that. after that. There were there were waves after. All right. Um, so the, so for example, um, Rui Patricio, you reckon he used this to leave and organize a better contract for himself uh, at Wolves because they weren't going to have to pay the sort of money that they would normally have to pay for him. Yeah. Well, from what I remember, and this is, I believe it's true. So when the attacks happened, Wolves made a bid to try and sort of capitalise. And I believe it was it was either 14 or like 18 million. And the president at the time, Bruno Scaglia, said no. And after that is when Marie Patricia rescinded his contract. So that is oh also God. why everyone right. thinks it's a, it's a contract yeah. and money issue. Yeah. It's, um, it is a pity, though, because as you say, if it's 20 headbangers, it's worldwide news and it's kind of something that people kind of think about when they think of sporting now which is so unfair to the thousands and thousands of brilliant supporters they have because i mean you guys know as well as anybody the the fans in portugal are so passionate and they make such great noise and create wonderful atmospheres in the stadiums that um it's a pity in a way that those guys did that and it's, it is something that people still remember you know even if it is only 20 of them or whatever yeah yeah so i think that this is also a good time for to to kind of for the next question to kind of shift because i think that the attack basically over the four you say you've been covering for four years the attack was two years ago i would say it's basically right in the middle so i would describe like the sporting that you've seen in two stages you saw the pre-attack sporting which was like the bruno fernandes the baz dost uh, the William Carvalho, that sport thing. And yeah. then then there was kind of like the uncertain period. There was a bad team or two in there. And then there was the new, the reborn sporting of this season. Yeah. So I guess in your eyes, 
Um, like, w- how would you compare those teams? And like, do you like the the teams of the past more, or the team of the the current more? I think the team at the moment is far and away uh, the best sporting team that I've seen. Even though you've lost the likes of Bruno Fernandes, um, I thought when Baz Dost was in the team, although he scored lots of goals, and I mean he's still scoring goals in Germany. Uh, I thought everything, the game was a bit predictable. You know, he was the big guy up front and he was always going to be the big target man. And, you know, he'd score a few headers. And and he, like, fair play to him. I think there was one season, did he score 24 or 25 goals or something like that? You know, so he was a great player for sporting. But I think actually what they have now is a bit more variety. I know you're, you're still not quite sure whether Sporar is your man or whether. Tiago Tomas is, you know, you're relying on goals at the moment from um, uh, Gonzalez. So you haven't got that kind of big target man. And yet, you're playing great football. Um, I think Nuno Mendes is, of all the young players in Portugal at the moment, I think you've got the you've got the gold diamond there. Do you have a gold diamond? No, there's no such thing as a gold diamond, but you have the gold nugget. Um because I mean, I know he's signed this new contract now this week, and the uh, the exit clause is seventy million. Um, and I think he wants him. They should be paying that kind of money because he's so young. He's they they you know they're going to get years out of him. It, the way he came into the uh, sporting team last season, um, as soon as I saw him play, I said, "This guy is just brilliant." He had confidence. I think he was only seventeen at the time. And just sheer confidence, great energy, good passer. He just ticked an awful lot of boxes. Um, and at the same time, Quaresma came into the team and looked a million dollars as well. Um, although he did then play a couple of games where he made a couple of mistakes. And I just I kind of felt like he maybe affected his confidence a bit. And obviously he, he's he's been injured this season and then he hasn't been in the team. Uh, they've been very solid at the back. So why would they change it? But again, he's only, what is he, 18, 19, 18, I think. So, yeah. you know, he's he's got years of learning to do and he's he's going to be a really good player as well, I think. And Tomas is still only a teenager. Um, the one guy I really like every time I see him, even though he's not getting a huge amount of game time, is uh, Daniel Braganza. I think he looks really, really good. Um, he is loved by our fans. I think he's. Is probably, he? I'm not surprised. Yeah. He's, he's he's one that he does like you said doesn't play a lot, but our fans love him, including myself. He's he's. I think he's a fantastic footballer. I think he's a great prospect. I really do. Uh, I think maybe they're right to kind of ease him in and not overexpose him too too early, you know. Um, and again, because they're winning and they're they're top of the league and they're doing so well, there's no great incentive to radically change the team at the moment anyway you know because it's a winning team um but i think he's going to be a another like he's the one now at the moment people will often uh, like buddies of mine and stuff will say you know who are the guys in portugal we should be looking out for and nuno mendes is always top of my list at the moment but braganza i say keep an eye out for this young kid because he's he's got a wand of a left foot and he's an intelligent player and i think he's he's another you know uh, little star coming through for uh, sporting the um, the youth system in sporting is you know it's it's proving very profitable. You have a lot of good good young players coming through, and and Amarim is brave enough to put them in the team and give them game time, which I think wasn't happening before he arrived. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit for that as well. I think. Um, 
you mentioned Ruben Amor in there, and I know you've done a few Braga games on on Free Sports. Um, what was your initial reaction when uh, Sporting activated the ten million uh, clause to to make him a manager? Do you think it at the time? Do you think it was a good decision? Do you think it was a risk? I, I would love to know your thoughts on that. At the time, I kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit, only because of the not because I didn't think he was a, a potentially a great manager, but just I kind of thought, Jesus. Uh, that's that's a lot of money to be, you know, splashing around on a coach. You know, coaches come and go so quickly. Uh, and then I kind of thought, well, you know, you might pay 15 million for a midfielder or 20 million for a centre-back or, you know, they pay 6 million for Sporar, 7 million, whatever it was for Sporar. So in the overall scheme of things, maybe 10 million for the guy who's actually going to call the shots and arrange the squad and, you know, decide on the direction of this team it's not actually that much um and i mean i for me it's it's been a brilliant decision uh, by the board because that price tag might have put some clubs off um but you could tell he was doing well with braga and you know winning the the league cup with them was um was already a sign that you know this guy is a is a winner and obviously you know he had a lot of international experience as a player and stuff so like Tenky, any young coach in his 30s is always a bit of a gamble, I think, for a big club. But, uh, Jesus, this is one gamble. Touch wood so far. That's really off for uh, sporting. I think the board deserves a bit of credit for that. Yeah, for sure. We had, we definitely had similar reactions um, at first. And, um, yeah, the, the, I guess the way we look at it now is um, if they qualify for the Champions League automatically, um, which mm. is top two this season automatically, and then third is the playoffs. So assume they yeah. get top two. Um, Emeldine p- basically paid for himself, I guess you can think of it that way, and then some. Oh, um, absolutely. So, yeah, so, you know, I, I, it's looking like it was – look. I don't think that him performing even perhaps a little bit better than they thought means that it excuses the potential recklessness at, at the time. But, yeah, he definitely, he definitely is a great manager um, for yeah. the future. There's one I, question. I think, that, I mean, the one thing he is going to have to do, by the way, though, is just learn to zip it on the sideline <laughs> in 10 matches. There's not a great stat. Um, and, you know, I've Sergio Conceição, I think, has been sent off maybe twice this season as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. So they're obviously clamping down on that a bit because, you know, that wasn't such a big feature previously. But, uh, you know, he doesn't want to get sent off a third time this season. And uh, no matter how passionate he feels about things, he is going to have to just cool it a little bit, I think, in terms of his uh, verbals with the match officials, because they don't seem to be uh, taking much this season for them to be whip out the for them to whip out the red card for the uh, officials on the side. And we saw it again at the uh, the weekend as well. Uh, who was it? Um, one of the uh, club officials was sent off for first... against Benfica, was it? Was that yeah, one? yeah. Um, the the one of the guys on the bench got his marching orders again. So yeah, yeah. We we uh, definitely. That's also a perfect segue into what I was going to ask you about next. Um, but I, I think that we one of the things that puts Ruben Emery more vulnerable is I think his classification as uh, assistant coach technically um since he doesn't have like the proper paperwork or whatever he's not the he's not the official coach i think he has 
less rope to say stuff um, than the head coach. That's interesting that you should say that because we had a situation uh, here in Ireland. Dundalk were playing in the group phase of the Europa League and their coach is an Italian who uh, doesn't have the UEFA A license. So he is the, the coach and he does, you know, call the shots. But technically, they had to give the name of a fellow called Shane Keegan as the official coach for UEFA's purposes. And Dundalk were fined €50,000 for having their coach in the technical area during mm-hmm. the game, which is kind of bizarre because he is the coach, but yet he has to sit in the stand behind the dugout. Um, so it's that is one of the kind of little anomalies. Um, but I presume Ruben Amaran will probably uh, get his license fairly soon. Yeah, the last I read is that he's scheduled to take like the next class, like this yeah, spring. Yeah, yeah so. I think COVID I think might have another... de- certainly in Ireland. COVID delayed the the um, the A license course, as far as I know. But um, yeah, soon enough. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the next thing I wanted to ask you about it's been a hot button topic in Portugal. Um. I don't know how much you pay attention to like Portuguese media consumption, but it's been the refs. The refs have been the hot ticket the past couple weeks. Um. They're always at the center of controversy in Portugal. Um, they're they're in the they're in fashion right now to talk about the refs. Um, as an outsider, what have you thought about Portuguese refing overall? Um, and what have you thought about it this season, specifically these incidents recently that have caused uh, uproar? Yeah, I, I would say. Um... You probably won't like this, but I would say that the standard of refereeing in Portugal is actually pretty good. Um, I have seen a few decisions over the last couple of seasons that turn my hair grey. Uh, I used to have black hair. Um, but some of those decisions are actually dictated by the new laws of the game. You know, the the I get so frustrated when a guy slams a ball into a defender's hand who's standing, you know, two yards away from him. And a penalty is awarded because the ball has hit the hand of the defender. And I can understand why uh, the guys on the bench and the players are, you know, giving out yards about the fact that this penalty has been awarded. But the referee's hand in that situation is is tied because he has to apply the the letter of the law. I think the law is stupid, um, but that's how it is at the moment. Um, there are other grayer areas then, like the game at the weekend where um, the penalty was awarded. Uh, Fedal was clattered by the goalkeeper. Uh, they would argue that the goalkeeper was making a genuine attempt to get the ball and he just hit Fedal. But again, I think the referee in that situation made the right call, uh, that it was a penalty for me. Was it a second yellow card and the goalkeeper had to be sent off? That was harsh in my in my uh, book. I thought um, the sending off of Gonçalves a couple of weeks ago was ridiculously harsh. Um, and I've seen another decision this weekend, a straight red card for, um, was it, who was it, uh, João Pedro in uh, one of the games, um, for Tondela, uh, which I thought was a crazy red card. Um, so, yeah, I mean papers and media and people like us love controversy and love talking about refereeing but i mean i'd be interested to get your views um i would give the reason in portugal a pretty 
a pretty high mark, which in the context of the controversies that are going on at the moment, mightn't be the 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 uh, the thing to say. But uh, overall, I would say most of them are pretty good. Chris, do you want to give your opinion on that one first? Yeah. <laughs> I'm bracing myself. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think you make a good point, actually, that a lot of the really bad decisions are kind of prompted by the VAR. Like, yeah. a bang-bang thing happens, the ref doesn't see anything, he gets the thing in his ear, the, uh, the guy's probably like, hey, you want to go take a look at this? You might want to take a mm -hmm. look at this. Like, it's bad or whatever. And, I mean, he just kind of has to trust it, right? I guess once he gets to the screen himself and then looks at it, like, he's now responsible. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it's really it's really tough. Um, the The... It, it, the problem for me is, like, the lack of consistency. I think that, like, I think that, like, standards need to be um, established because, like, whenever something happens, right, like, for example, the Kowats goal that was disallowed last week, there's yeah. a million other, there's, oh, there's a Porto game last year that th similar ha similar thing happened, different outcome. Befica game from this season, similar outcome, different thing. And then you have the, the punch in the head, from this weekend, it's like, oh, they call that, but then you go back and you can find five, six other examples where they're making a bunch of other. So it's that that for me is where it's frustrating. And then people that are more cynical than I am will say that sporting gets less calls and um, Benfica and Porto obviously get more calls. And historically, if you played that one out, I think that they would, those people would probably be correct. Um, but I mean, sporting, I get, I guess they got one really bad call. Uh, last week, and they got benefited mm -hmm. out this week. So, in my yeah. eyes, I, I think that they kind of canceled out for right now, at least. Um, but both yeah. very late in the game as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think maybe the point you make there about the big teams' <laughs> decisions historically partly might be to do with the fact that when you've got you know thirty or forty thousand you know supporters baying at the referee for a decision, that can influence them. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, that's not a factor just at the moment but uh i i i mean do you think the quadri's goal should have stood i do yeah do i think it yeah. i think it should have I, I think that the contact with the goalkeeper was just mere, like it, with var it's like his arm just brushed brushed the butt like he didn't yeah. shove him or anything and at the same time, he's the one that's getting pushed into the goalie and he just brushed up against yeah. him. Yeah, that, I, I thought that was a really close decision. It could have gone either way. Could, yeah. For for the drama at the end of the game, I was kind of disappointed that the goal didn't stand, you know. Um, yeah. Just such an amazing comeback having just conceded. But um, I could. there was one replay that I kind of thought, ah, I can kind of see why the referee is... There's one bit. angle. There's one angle where it looks yeah. different than the yeah. others. And the exactly. same with the, yeah. Uh, yeah. the incident this weekend. There's one angle where it looks like... Uh, uh, defendy or who is it? Yeah, he just nicks the ball before he punches his head. There's one angle, so it's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if there's three very... angles that show one thing and one angle that shows another. Does the does the three out like is it gr greater angles? Like I don't know how you're supposed to determine. Yeah. Maybe they do even out over the course of a season. Like as you say, you you didn't get one the previous week, so it kind of probably does balance out a bit over the course of the season but but um yeah no overall i think i mean there's been a few offside decisions over the course of the the season as well and uh i kind of get a bit of a headache when i watch some of those you know 2 centimeter decisions i kind of think it just 
uh, I, I don't know. I, I will I'll let you in on a secret. Okay, this is I've never said this to anybody actually. When I worked in Irish TV, obviously they had major outside broadcasts covering, covering matches. And the technology that they were using, now this is a few years ago, but it was very similar to what's been used now to decide the line of, you know, where a defender's hip was or his knee or something could be manipulated by the person in the van uh, marginally, but enough to maybe change a decision. So it, even the VAR application, I think, could be slightly great. When it comes down to a decision that's, you know, five centimetres or eight centimetres or something like that, I, I don't believe in it. I just don't believe in it. And Especially I, when you don't have the perfect angle, right? You're you're looking exactly. slightly behind. How can you even draw the lines? Because this isn't yeah. right on, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd almost need a 3D, um, fully, you know, 360-degree 3D camera. Um, so that I hate. And, and I do, you know, we've had instances where teams have scored, you know, a last-minute winner, uh, maybe a small team playing away to Benfica and they get a goal and it's it's ruled out because of a four centimetre offside and that kills me because I kind of think these guys it's their big moment you know um, and it's ruined by a decision like that so I'm not a fan of our overall I just don't like it uh, For me I think it could be improved if we could hear the conversations between the referee and the, the people in the van that's all I would yeah. would want because I just want to know what the conversation is. If it's if there's any like it's not bias, but if the guy in the van is saying, "Oh, there's definitely a red card," there or definitely a foul, definitely this, and yeah. then yeah. how much does that influence the referees? But um, yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, and I mean it works very well in rugby. You know, you you have absolute clarity between the the guy in the van and the referee on the pitch, um, and that would help. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think sometimes when the guy in the, the VAR says to the referee, oh, you better go and have a look at that yourself, almost immediately there's got to be some question in the referee's mind, oh, there must be something wrong here if he's asking me to go and have a look. So you're almost predisposed to make the decision to rule out the goal or you know whatever it might, give a red card for a, an elbow or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, no, nah, I'm not... Not a fan. I mean, we had the sending off this weekend of the centre half and Nogueira for the two um, elbows in the um, the Benfica match, and I thought that was it spoiled the game. You know, he, uh, Gilles Vicente were playing well, and in the space of five minutes, he goes up to jump with the striker for a ball, catches him both times with his arm, but neither time kind of aggressively used his elbow or anything, just hit him with his arm. I think maybe in the second instance there, he could have just given a free kick and a warning and said, look, you're going to have to watch your arms. To send a guy off in the situation like that before halftime just completely altered the direction of the game. I mean, they were playing really well against Benfica and holding them. Suddenly, the second half is just a cakewalk for, for Benfica. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, sometimes the decisions can be really annoying, but um, that's referee's job, isn't it, to annoy us all? <laughs> Um, we've got one final question for you, I believe. Um, and I can reiterate, you could be as honest as you like. We're not making you say anything. Your opinion. <laughs> Who do you think wins the Liga Nost title this season? And why? 
And if, if you want me to answer first, I, I still think Benfica have got a little bit of an edge on us. So if that if that helps you make a decision, like you're not going to upset anyone. Because I think we all at the start of the season said Benfica or Porto. So, and I, I still think maybe Benfica can edge it. But what do you think? Well, I would rule Benfica out um, purely because really? they've been defending really badly this season. Um, I think uh, Otamendi hasn't been a successful signing so far. He hasn't settled in at all. Uh, and he looks wobbly every time I see him. Uh, Almeida is going to be out for the rest of the season, more or less. Um, if somebody like Bertongan were to get injured for three or four weeks, um, you know, you'd have maybe Ferro coming in or Jardel. I don't think that's a good enough defence to win a league. Um, so I'm going to rule them out. And so then it's now a neck and neck horse race between Sporting and Porto. Um, Porto. Oh, God. Do you know what? I'd hate to be having a bet on it. I wouldn't like to be putting a bet on it because I think it's going to be really, really tight. <laughs> games are going to be crucial at the end of the season. Um I'd, I'd love sporting to win for because I think it's important for Portuguese football that it doesn't become a, you know, Porto Benfica every single season and sporting have the infrastructure and now they have the squad and the manager to really challenge properly. Um, so I, I see if I go for sporting, I, I feel like I'd almost be, be putting the hex on them. Um, <laughs> Um, it's going to go down to the last week of the season. It will be either Sporting or Porto. Um, but my 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 bold statement would be that I don't think it'll be Benfica. Yeah, I'm just looking at the comments here we're getting on the stream. And I was about to say what uh, Lauren was, as said in the comments, that um, we do have the advantage of not having European competition. Obviously, Porto into the next round of the Champions League, Benfica Europa League. And like, I'm not sure if any other sporting fan agrees with me, but I hope they get all the way to the final just so their their team gets hit with more and more injuries and more and more fatigue. <laughs> and I hope they lose in the final. But um, um, do you think a, a lack of European football is an advantage? Because obviously there's, there's the money there and there's the, the TV rights and everything. Do you think that's an advantage for sporting or would you disagree? No, I, I would completely agree with Lauren there because um, I think that's been one of the benefits in the early part of the season for sporting already, um, 100%. Um, and particularly at the moment with the whole COVID situation, travelling isn't as... I know, you know, they travel in their own planes and all that kind of stuff, but it's still... Uh, it's a hassle that that is just a little bit extra difficult at the moment. Um, and I think Benfica are probably capable of getting past Arsenal. By the way, I don't think Arsenal are, are playing that well at the moment. Uh, so uh, I agree. You know, that's that's quite a possibility. I think Porto up against Juve. You know, I wish them well, but uh, I, I think Juventus will probably knock them out. Um, but I, I, I absolutely, I think the fact that you haven't been playing in Europe has been a, a benefit. And the other thing is, okay, you are losing out on revenue this season. But um, if you do go on and win the league, uh, as you were saying, Christian, if they get into the Champions League next season, suddenly you're into the big money business there. Um, you know, if they can get through to the group phase, um, 
suddenly you're into serious money. So um, maybe it could be a blessing in disguise. You know, when they got, I was really surprised when they got knocked out this season, uh, particularly the manner of it. But yeah, yeah maybe in hindsight, it mightn't be the mightn't be the worst thing that ever happened. Well, Khan, we we're a little over time. We really appreciate you you coming on uh, and giving us your insights. Um, I don't it's know if you, favorite. Sam, you have any any final thoughts? Any wrap up? Well, I'm just thankful thankful for you t- for coming on. I, I listen to you every week. Obviously, being a a Liga Nossen sporting fan, and you do a great job. And that's not to me saying that because you're here. I genuinely yeah. believe it. So, <laughs> congratulations <laughs> on your your decision. I hope you even. But Can I again, ask you thank one you quick question on. myself before I before I go? Because you will be able to sort something out for me, which I have I have asked several people, and nobody has been able to give me definitive answer on this. Jovan Cabral, do you prefer him to be called just Jovan, or Jovan Cabral, or just Cabral? Jovan. One or two. Me. One or two are acceptable. I think I don't think I've ever heard anyone call him just Cabral. Cabral, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's I'll agree. Yeah, because that's that's one of the. Sorry, I know I'm going on now, and you're probably out of time. But but one of the difficulties right. being uh, Portuguese football sometimes is uh, players' names. Like for for example, when uh, Gonzalo scored last season for for Malikau, I just bought uh, and then. Uh, I kind of reverted to calling him Pedro Gonzalez. Uh, in fact, I was calling him Gonzalves for a while, and I, I was told that's the, not the Portuguese pronunciation. So I'm doing like I'm learning all the time. But uh, yeah, it's not. It's not. Sometimes it's not so. It, there's no John Smiths playing in Portugal, that's for sure. But listen, yeah. it's great talking to you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thanks, William, for for watching, and uh, hopefully you'll have a great season ahead i think I, I if i was a sporting fan and i kind of you know white hoops, i love the green and white hoops I, I think this is a very exciting time for sporting at the moment now the, the future you gotta wear shades hope you're right con thanks again cheers guys cheers